It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The final regular season edition of Minor League Baseball is the show before the show podcast arrives to you. Welcome in, everybody. I am Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra in New York City. I'm not on the road. I'm not next to you. It's so much less exciting. I know. You're coming from us from your own home. Rip off. <laughs> Describe the experience of where you are now, Tyler. You know, compared to last week, a lot, uh, a lot lonelier around here in the old house. I moved into this place like two weeks ago, uh, and then I've basically been out of town the entire time since. So I got back, and I was like, oh, I haven't done any work in here. i got to, <laughs> like, actually make this a home now. That's lame. But, uh, yeah, so much less exciting than Conference Room 5N that we spent an hour and a half wandering around trying to find last week. Right. Well, I'm sure where you are now is a little more spacious. <laughs> That's true. The room that is true. We were in. <laughs> so welcome in. It is episode. Uh, I got the episode number wrong last week, so I had to go back in and uh, and re-edit me talking about what episode it was, which was a, a super fun moment. We're at episode number 24 now, which I thought we were last week, but now episode number 24. So That's, now you know. Yes. I can and we're we are all wrapped up with virtually every regular season of minor league baseball pioneer league ends today this is a, a tuesday in which we are recording september 8th you're not going to hear this until thursday by then we'll already have had some postseason results in all that kind of fun so uh keep tabs on the minor league baseball playoffs at milb.com we've got an entire playoff coverage page uh, a landing page there for every series across every league we've already gotten some teams that have wrapped up championships sam wrote about the the GCL Red Sox who put away a championship uh, earlier on this week uh, tonight Tuesday night the Appalachian League will be decided that's between the Greenville Astros and that's Greenville with uh, second or third E by the way three of four G R E N E not Greenville in South Carolina home of the Greenville Drive is just G R E N anyway uh, they're going against the Princeton Rays <laughs> so the playoffs are all over the place and uh, we will be with you throughout the entirety of the minor league postseason you can by the way. Stop on over by iTunes. Give us a, a rating, a review, and a subscription there. We are the Minor League Baseball Podcast on iTunes. Give us five stars and then write whatever the heck you want in the comments. Whatever. We don't, it's fine. Tell us, you know, that... We, we prefer nice things. Yeah, nice things. yeah I mean, we would like Lead that. with nice things. As we explained yeah, last week... Our day is anything. Just, you know, generally nice things in comments. Let's, let's bring up the... Uh, the comments, uh, you know, just the, the geniality and the niceness of comments in general. As we, uh, They're never not that way on the Internet. Of um, course not, no. And as we explained last week, it's way easier for you guys to do it than for us to try to walk our moms through how to <laughs> uh, do that on the Internet. So go give us a rating and a review and a subscription on iTunes. You can also find us at MILB.com. And uh, so welcome in. It is episode number 24, and we are a full week now into expanded rosters and the like at the major league level. And one guy who was already turning some heads, I know Vin Scully was all over him, lauding praise on him last night in a broadcast at the major league level through five games. Corey Seager, the top prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, already uh, showing flashes of what is to come throughout his major league career, as Dodgers fans will hope. He's the number two prospect in all of baseball. Hits in all four of his starts so far. He's made two starts at third base and two at shortstop. He also had one pinch hit appearance but so far he is six for his first 18 he's got three doubles over that span an ops of 900 very limited sample size of course through 18 at bats but Corey seager like he did a double a like he did a triple a starting very very hot he is our strike one topic of conversation yeah and i, I don't think you can give any better praise than the fact that uh you know vin scully said some nice things about you once that happens i think you're pretty much golden so we'll try to uh, meet vin standards here but um, you know, a couple times we talked on the podcast about Corey Seager and just on the site in general and, you know, what his kind of potential is, how much of a, you know, good hitting infielder he could be. Um, I know we talked about maybe him being a call up and the, the Dodgers decided to make that jump, um, especially with Justin Turner having some health issues here in September as they're trying to make their march to the postseason. And, um, you know, he's 
like you said, it's been a small sample so, so far, but everybody's getting excited based on what they're seeing. He's just kind of been a uh, doubles machine. He's got three doubles so far, showing off that you know nice gap to gap power. Um, you know, taking his pitches, hitting them you know the right way, not trying to blast the ball out of the stadium, not trying to you know stick out in that way. Although we know he does have some nice pop, especially for an infielder. Um, you know, Corey Seager, his value is in his bat. Um, you know, we've talked before. He's got he's a 307 career minor, minor league hitter, um, has a career 891 OPS there. Uh, you know, this is a guy who hit, uh, you know, what was it, 18 homers? Or no, that's this year. Uh, 20 homers last year, 16 homers the year before. He's got, for a guy who can play a legitimate shortstop, um, his size, he's got some nice pop there. Um, you know, whether his... Uh, future is at third base or at short, you know, that's for the Dodgers to decide, you know, they have Jimmy Rollins at short right now. They've kind of had a revolving door at third this year. Um, and with his size, he's a six, four guy. He might be a better fit at third base, just given his size. Once he does fill out, he's still only 21 years old. Um, but what you're seeing right now in the majors with him is what, you know, we think his potential is going to be. Um, you know, again, it's a, it's a small sample, but we think he's can be an exciting player. You can, you know, kind of anchor that offensive lineup as good as it is right now for the Dodgers already. He can anchor that for the next, you know, half dozen years, even beyond that, if he gets an extension and, you know, they really decide they want to lock him down for the very, very long term. Um, so it's been exciting to see him carry that that production from AAA straight to the majors and, sh- you know, get to show everybody else, you know, what we've already seen in the minors with him. The one thing that uh, I think really speaks volumes about Corey Seager and what the Los Angeles Dodgers believe they have in him is this note, which came from a special article on MLB.com by Jay Paris. And Paris, after his debut, after Seager's debut, said, quote, the top Dodgers prospect showed why the front office wouldn't relinquish him in various trade scenarios, including ones that could have landed pitchers Cole Hamels or David Price. That shows you everything you need to know about what the Dodgers think of Corey Seager. They could have made the push to add another big arm to Granke and Kershaw and really make a run at what has so far eluded them throughout these last handful of very, very good seasons, especially in the regular season, but what's eluded them in the postseason. Uh, Seager is the guy, and the Dodgers know that they have a very valuable guy in the most valuable position on the field, and that's who they want to build around. Jimmy Rollins has filled in admirably at that spot, but obviously he's a short-timer given his age. So I think right now the Dodgers are giving – we've talked so many times this year about how the Dodgers already have all this talent, this high-priced major league talent, but they have a lot of stuff on the way in minor league reinforcements and it's not just Seager but obviously I mean guys like Julio Urias and the pitching staff there are a lot of talented players who have raised their profiles this year at the minor league level but Seager has always been first and foremost among that crowd I think he stands out as a guy that organizations in positions like the Dodgers don't necessarily always have which is that top prospect despite the 200 300 million dollar payrolls that we're seeing and are going to see from these top teams to be able to still draft and develop well and bring guys like this along with a long time in team control is huge for teams like the Dodgers because you can add a piece like that without having to overextend yourselves money-wise. So this is a a very big facet of the Dodgers that's going to come along and continue to make that team uh, competitive and the class of that division along with the San Francisco Giants. It's not just a bloated payroll that's going to drag that franchise down as we've seen with other teams who have gone wild spending in the past. So Corey Seager is here and uh, it looks like is going to be here to stay for a very long time and We've seen hot starts from him already this season. He played 20 games at Double A Tulsa to start the year. 375 average at 1082 OPS, five homers and 15 runs driven in, along with 17 scored in 20 games. And his first month at the Triple A level, that was May. He played 27 games. He batted 300 OPS, 796. And now we're here through his first five games at the major league level on a 333 average and a 900 OPS. As Sam said, already generating a lot of doubles, hitting with some pop. So Corey Seager, very exciting to watch as he has been at every level. Uh, another guy who's finally been called up and made his major league debut made it last night was uh carl edwards jr you may know him as cj edwards uh edwards has been kind of a, a an interesting guy to watch this year in the way that he's really we've talked a lot about guys who have kind of pushed their envelopes faster than maybe a lot of people expected them to do so uh cj edwards i mean 
very, very good at double A to start the year. He kind of was on a similar plan to Seager, went up fairly, fairly quickly at the end of April, a 2.66 ERA and 13 appearances at the double A level. He was almost better at the triple A level, 2.84 through 23 relief appearances. Initially, there were some reports that he had been called up uh, actually on his 24th birthday, which was September 3rd. He wasn't called up right then, but he did make his debut last night. And the Cubs, their third place team in the uh, National League Central, they'd be leading the other two divisions in the National League. They add a very big arm to come out of the bullpen and give themselves some quality innings. Yeah, and, uh, Edwards was one of my favorite stories in the minors that I, I've written since I've been here. You know, he's a guy... He came from a place of all of all the places called Prosperity, South Carolina. It's a very small town down there, but I think a thousand people. Um, you know, he used to pitch with his uncle, his you know, his older members of his family. You know, he was this small, scrawny guy, and he would come in and he was just blazing strikes from you know his early teenage years, just kind of taking everybody aback. And when I talked to him once, you know, he said that kind of prepared me to pitch against these older guys. I knew I had the stuff to perform at a bigger level. Um, you know, but being from small town South Carolina, wasn't getting that many looks. Um, the Rangers ended up taking him the 48th round in 2011. That round doesn't even exist anymore. Um, it was really just a flyer. You know, we're going to take this guy, and uh, it, we'll try to talk him into taking a deal. But you know, if, if we don't lose, if we lose him, it's not that big a waste of a pick. Nobody else really knows about him yet. Um, they managed to talk him into signing a $50,000 signing bonus, and what he showed early on was just in you know a really really good fastball a developing curveball um you know he had a 1.48 ERA in his first year in the Rangers system in 2012 um kind of popped up in a, a little bit of a, uh, he was pitching at the really low levels but at least in major years per cup he was striking out 85 guys in 67 innings and then 2013 he really broke onto the scene had a 1.86 ERA at two different levels 155 strikeouts in 116 one-third innings um, got traded to the Cubs as part of a Matt Garza deal um, that year, went from the Rangers to the Cubs because the Cubs had seen what he had shown, you know, in the Rangers system, which was a plus fastball, you know, some really good off-speed stuff. Um, the biggest worry for him has always been his frame. He's only six foot three, 170 pounds. That's what he's listed at. Um, if you watched his game yesterday, you can see why he's nicknamed the string bean slinger. I mean, he is, his number is six, and that's really only because that's all that can fit on his back. Um, if you were to go double digits, it might be a little too big for him. Um, As they go with like eleven, right? Make it really compact. It's kind of like a Clay Buckles issue. He uh, he has eleven too, and that's basically all you can fit on. There. <laughs> but uh, for for Edwards, you know, the, that did kind of pop up last year um, in 2014. He only threw 53 and two thirds innings because he had some shoulder issues, um, some injury problems. So this year the Cubs decided, you know what, if we really are this worried about his durability, why don't we just move his really good stuff to the bullpen and see how he handles it. Um, they were thinking that, you know, maybe we'll make him a starter halfway through. We just want to see how he responds to this. And he did really well, as you were saying, before at Tennessee and Iowa. Um, he has that kind of typical um, reliever problem, which is he, his stuff is so good that nobody can touch it. Batters hit 139 against him this year. I mean, that's, that's really, really low. Um, the thing is, they knew they could, that he would have some control issues. He did walk 41 guys in 55 and a third innings in the minors. So if uh, you know he can find a way to work on his control, uh, you know his stuff will certainly play at the big league level. It, it's certainly closer level stuff. Um, that's why we think so highly of him, even as a reliever. Uh, but it's exciting to see him climb from, like I said, a, a spot where he was, you know, in a town of a thousand people pitching against older competition to now a spot on a major league roster. And, uh, you know, maybe if he pitches well enough, shows off that excellent stuff, maybe they'll find a spot for him in the postseason roster when the Cubs get there. But uh, we'll see how he does here coming up in the next few weeks. And a new father also. So and congratulations. Father. Congratulations. To, to Carl Edwards Jr. Very right. cool. Strike two, Sam. Let's move along to uh, kind of a broader scope of uh, stories. The minor league baseball all-star, end-of-season all-star mentions, awards are all out. Uh, some very notable guys. And uh, the one thing that stuck out to me, you had a good season in AAA if you were named Matt because the <laughs> International League MVP is Matt Haig and the Pacific Coast League MVP is Matt Duffy. He of the Fresno Grizzlies and Matt Haig, uh, of course, of the Buffalo Bison. So if your name was Matt, it was a hell of a year for you in, in AAA. I think that might more just speak to people of kind of our generation, our age. There are just more Matts out there. <laughs> There's a lot of Matts. I think it's, it's just a, a new inefficiency. Just be named Matt. 
Yeah, but it's it's funny you bring up the the PCL and uh, AAA because I kind of wanted to bring that up too when I was thinking about topics for this. Um, one kind of interesting thing I, I know one thing people should know is that um, a lot of these leagues come out with their all star teams before the season's over. You know, things can change here and there. There there might be somebody who qualifies for a you know ERA ERA title or uh, batting average title at the last second. I know that happened kind of with Clayton Blackburn. Um, it happened with. Uh, a pitcher from Arkansas who snagged the, the Texas League ERA title in his last start. Um, but one of the biggest glaring omissions kind of on that PCL team for me was Jose Martinez, who hit 384 this year for Omaha in 98 games. I mean, we're not talking a very small sample, and he right. wasn't even one of the three outfielders chosen on the PCL team. That's not to put PCL on blast. You know, everybody has their reason for taking what they take, and, you know, they're, they're – were certainly some other really good uh, guys taken there in the outfield between Domingo Santana, Alex Dickerson, and Peter O'Brien, each of which had very good years, especially Santana and O'Brien this year. Uh, but Jose Martinez, I mean, a 384 average and 341 at-bats. Um, you know, you'd like to see him get a little bit of recognition that there for what he's done this year for Omaha. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing we come back to with these is, you know, they are just kind of, arbitrary nice things and you like to see people rewarded for their good work so i wouldn't get any too blown up about anything but um yeah it would have been nice to see his name on that on that pcl list one of the things that stuck out to me uh the texas league's end of season all-star team three quarters of that infield were midland rock hounds colin walsh the second baseman ryan healy the third baseman chad pinder the shortstop pinder was named the uh, player of the year in the texas league midland i had a, a pretty interesting conversation um earlier this week midland is the texas league gets a reputation i mean it's not quite the california league but it's obviously a very hitter friendly circuit and the rock hounds don't really have that benefit at home and i had a conversation with eric martins the hitting coach from midland a couple of days ago uh about some of the just freakish things at the plate that renato nunez has been doing as of late but he said it's almost when we go on the road we have to remind ourselves how good of a team we can be offensively so when you're playing half of your games in that ballpark in midland where the wind's blowing like crazy it doesn't really carry it's not kind of the same uh what you would think of west texas and dry air and balls jumping that's not how it is out there so for those three guys to hold down basically the entire infield balbino fumayor was the other uh infielder from northwest arkansas on that team very impressive uh midland's put together a, a really exciting team there of course they added sean Manaya in that trade at the deadline this year i got a very very fun team and uh one of the teams that will be uh contesting the texas league postseason which leads us into strike three you like that segue ah, Look at that. So let's dive in. Postseason has arrived uh, across the minor leagues, and there are a lot of good storylines in every circuit, but there are a handful of things that stick out to, I think, those of us who are excited for the intensity that minor league baseball brings on the field for players. It's kind of a, a thing across minor league front offices. Sometimes the playoffs put you in a bind because kids are back in school. Vacationers aren't on vacation anymore. It can be tough for a front office, but for the players and the staffs of teams, the playoffs are a heck of a lot of fun, especially because you kind of think to yourself, well, we got to be here for another week. We might as well go out and win it all. That's always kind of the mindset uh, of teams that make it into the postseason. So Sam, give me just some of uh, the storylines that stick out to you as we start the playoffs this week. Yeah, and, and kind of sticking in the Texas League, I, I'm just kind of excited to see what Corpus Christi can do there too. You know, get a couple more at bats for AJ Reed, um, get to see what he's going to be like, and and kind of that, uh, you know, playoff atmosphere. What that's going to, you know, just to squeeze a few more at bats out of him, that'll be exciting. And you know, we we do have, uh, you know, whatever you think of it or not, we do have a AAA National Championship, um, which is going to pit. You know the best team from the International League against the best team from the Pacific Coast League, and that this year is going to be in El Paso. And El Paso is in the uh, PCL playoffs this year. They're going up against Fresno in the semifinals. They'll be marching, trying to march back to their own home, I guess, as it were. Uh, you know, you never when they have the Super Bowl in different places like they do with the AAA National Championship, uh, you never really see uh, teams get to play in their own home stadium like that. So that that'll be exciting for El Paso to make the march to El Paso. Um, and I'm sure the Chihuahuas themselves would love to see that. That'll just help with attendance numbers in that game. Um, but, you know, getting to see them march home will be kind of fun to see. 
that would be really, really cool. And those fans are so crazy in El Paso. Everybody, I mean, it's the second year of that ballpark. People still talk about that from opposing teams, what it's like playing there. It's an entirely different atmosphere than you see in a whole lot of ballparks. So that would be, that city would go insane if the El Paso Chihuahuas were able to make it there for the AAA championship game. Uh, the, the series that I'm really excited to see is in the Advanced Class A California League. The Lancaster Jethawks, uh, the defending league champions, are back in the postseason. They're going to take on the High Desert Mavericks. And the thing that intrigues me most is that those are the top two offenses and the top two hitters ballparks in that league. That's going to be a very, very firework laden series. Uh, the Mavericks, the Texas Rangers affiliate and the uh, Astros affiliate, the Jethawks, they finished with teams uh, batting averages of 291 for Lancaster and 286 for high desert. That's 20 points better than any other team in the league. Visalia was third place at 266 as a unit. So those are some formidable offensive attacks to look out for, and that's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of power in that series. And uh, it, Cal League Baseball, is it never leaves you bored. We'll put it that way. <laughs> it's a whole lot of fun. Especially for box score watchers. Right, exactly, They're exactly. That, you know, how many home runs were hit in that game? That, uh, that's, that's the series to watch for sure. And what I was kind of – I touched on this before, but I want to kind of bring it up too. Um, you mentioned the, the Lancaster Jethawks. The, the Fresno Grizzlies are in the playoffs. Corpus Christi, like I said, Lancaster and Quad Cities, all the Houston full season affiliates are in the playoffs, their respective playoffs this year. So, you know, with the, the Astros making their own march to the postseason, this is certainly an exciting time if you're an Astros prospect fan or if you're just a Astros fan in general and want to see what the, uh, the lower levels have. I think that's kind of been one of the stories of the season and now will be one of the stories of the uh, postseason to see how many rings, you know, if any, the Astros affiliates can get here in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Don't forget the Tri-City Valley Cats also. Right. In, yeah, no, no, uh, yeah, just going Another full. Astros affiliate. Yeah, you're just listening off the full season teams, but that's how good that organization is. The short season teams are, are in the uh, in the mix as well. So it's been, man, and Greenville. And Greenville's got a chance to play for a, a championship tonight. By the time you're listening to this, you will know whether or not Greenville won the Appalachian League. But basically, if you're an Astros team, uh, you're going to the playoffs pretty much yeah. no matter what. Right. I don't envy who's ever going to be doing the uh, Astros or All-Stars. <laughs> there, there's a, there's sometimes you, you either like it or you don't like it, but um, you know you can either get nobody to pick from or 1,500 people to right, pick exactly. from. Right, oh, exactly. I do so, not envy that person who asked Enjoy. Question. It'll be one of the two of us now. Right. You know, I know. Now that I've said it, it's going to be. <laughs> uh, by the way, just in uh, – since we'll throw out little flyers here, if I was going to pick a AAA championship – uh, winner and a team to reign supreme atop the AAA mountain. I am going to go with the Fresno Grizzlies on uh, a dramatic. I'm going to say they go full on Mighty Ducks two, and okay. in the AAA championship game, struggling at the seventh inning, they come out in the tacos uniforms. Oh and, no! And okay. roll to uh, roll to a AAA championship. Is Gordon Bombay going That's to actually pick. be involved here? Yep. Or? Emilio Estevez will take over as manager <laughs> just for that game. What will uh, be their the version of the quack chant? Yeah, what could you do for a taco? Just a bunch of people guac. crushing tacos. Just guac, guac, <laughs> guac, guac, guac. That that that's it. I think that's. Uh, I, I it. can't possibly top that now. <laughs> I was just going to bring up, you know, the I, I I was too going to pick it against uh, Fresno against Indianapolis. I guess I'll go with Indianapolis winning it for the IL. Okay. Um, you know, I like Josh Bell. Obviously, I think they're going to keep Alan Hansen, even though he's on the forty man. Let him get some playing time. He can uh, run ha- wreck havoc on the base paths and. Uh, I don't know exactly how it's going to line up right now, but you know, I would love to see Tyler Glass now in a AAA National Championship game. So uh, I'll, I'll pick Indianapolis just for uh, just for the sake of argument. I do think that's a good pick out of the International League. I mean, they there are those teams that are in those semifinal series: Indianapolis and Scranton, Wilkesbury and Norfolk and Columbus. A lot of the top talent from those other squads has already departed and gone up to the major league level in various spots. But Indianapolis still has a very loaded roster, so I think that's a, a good pick coming out of the International League. As uh, we wrap up uh, our playoff discussion here for uh, the the, yeah, the 24th edition, I can't believe we're already talking playoffs, which is absurd. <laughs> uh, but some of the uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more in depth uh, about that stuff as the show rolls along. And wanted to cover one thing before we get done with three strikes. Things get a little weird toward the end of the minor league season, especially for teams. Yeah, exactly. Especially for teams that aren't contending. Basically, you just get to a point where you think like, nah, whatever, we'll just see what we can do on that last day. I know I worked for several teams that only used 
used one bat on the final day of the regular season. They just handed off the same bat for everybody hitting that day. So you didn't have to waste time with equipment and whatever. Just pass the bat and make it as quick of a game as possible. Uh, A team that actually is contending will make a trip to the postseason. The Pensacola Blue Wahoos and infielder Ray Chang. I guess you can't even really call him infielder because he was everything (laughs) man uh, in his regular season finale. Tell us the story of Ray Chang, Sam. Yeah, so uh, yesterday, you know, being Labor Day, we we had a lot of people working day side, um, just kind of as we do, following all the box scores, following all the games. And we were having a joke around the office of who's it going to be this year? Because every year towards the end of the season, if not on the last day, there's one person who is going to play all nine positions. And the 2015 version of that minor leaguer was Ray Chang for the AA Pensacola Blue Wahoos, who uh, he got to play all around the infield, got to play the outfield, which was actually kind of interesting because the Wahoos had Billy Hamilton rehabbing. And, uh, you know, the, the, the way major leaguers like to work, they don't like to move, especially if they're the big guy on campus like that. So I was worried that, you know, maybe they were going to have to take Hamilton out of the game to let Chang play center field, but thankfully Billy moved over to right. Um, so yeah, Billy Chang got to catch the eighth inning. He got to pitch the ninth inning. Uh, he talked with our Alex Kraft after the game uh, about it, and he said the biggest thing he was worried about was catching because you know it's one thing to catch. Uh, well, I'll, I'll read you the quote: "With catching, there's so many more things running through my head, and I just couldn't slow the game down. Everything was happening so fast. I'm just glad, glad it was a quick, quick eighth inning." Um, you know, he had a right-hander, Zach Weiss, on the mound. Um, there were two strikeouts in the inning, so he, he worked out pretty well. But, uh, yeah, I can't imagine being a guy who's a, normally a shortstop just having to throw on the uh, the mask and the protector and trying to catch 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. That would be my scariest bit. Anybody can get on the, the mound and pitch, and he did, and he, he did pretty well. But, uh, yeah, that would be the scariest bit for me. I like how uh, Alex very diplomatically put this. He said, the practice is not uncommon for minor league teams on the final day of the regular season. Mike Hessman did it in 2009. Justin Toole did it in 2012. Uh, and Nathan Orff did it last year. And Justin Toole actually wrote a book about it, uh, Nine and Nine, which was nine life lessons from playing every position. And uh, it's, yeah, the last couple days of the regular season, especially if a team already knows that it is or is not headed to the playoffs, is fun because – managers i think realize these guys have been busting their tails for 140 plus days uh and they let guys go out and blow off a little bit of steam and that's really cool so uh ray chain congratulations it's not an unprecedented thing but it's a very cool little footnote to have in your uh in your career and yeah no i would not i have no interest in and in just lacing it up and throwing on the tools of ignorance and trying to catch 90 mile an hour fastball because even if you have a reliever who's going out and taking it easy on you it's still a whole different animal. When you got a, a hitter up there, that's actually what Ray Chang said. He said, I've caught yeah. bullpens with a batter standing in the box. It's just a whole different ballgame. No, I don't know. That, like, I feel like I would leave in a body bag if I attempted that. Right, and as crazy as it sounds, you're also only putting down one finger the entire time. You don't want to press <laughs> yeah, exactly. the curveball. That's just not going to end well. <laughs> Somebody give me your slurve. <laughs> just bury this pitch. I'll see what I can see what I can do from the blocking game. No, no, thanks. Uh, some of the other weirdness that went on on the final day of minor league baseball. Was there anything else that stood out, Sam? Because I know I heard some stories. Uh, I mean, you, you hear things just from day to day about teams that kind of want to let loose. Lineups look funky. Uh, a lot of guys will just open the bullpen and let guys get one last day of work. Uh, but mostly, I think, for teams that know that they're headed home for the offseason, it's just about getting done as quickly as possible. And it's funny because if you go on Twitter today, you follow the MILB players feed, and it's just a rash of guys saying it's so great to be home. Right. And the speaking of Twitter, the thing that kind of I gave me a good chuckle yesterday was uh, Ryan Verdugo tweeting that bunting for base hits on the last day of the season hashtag no feel, <laughs> meaning he got angry at you know Astros prospect Tony Kemp, and Tony Kemp tweeted back, "Do you think the placement was good enough?" <laughs> the guys, like placement was great. Don't be square. Don't be scared to swing the bat next time though on game one forty four. So they're chirping that, come on, guy, I just want to go home. Oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, once you get to this point in the season, everybody just wants to go home if they're going to go home, I guess. It's the ultimate lesson after 104. Guys are riding around on buses. I know Todd Van Steen's one of our favorites from uh, minoring in Twitter fame this year. He had, like, a countdown clock on his phone for when the uh, the final, the first pitch of the final game of the regular season was going to be thrown. So it's, uh, we're there now. We're there. Everybody wraps up. Last games of the regular season are tonight. This is insane to me. Yeah, no, we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll celebrate the off season when it comes for a day, and then we'll get back into the swing of things again. 
Well, we're going to discuss some postseason with uh, a guy who is headed there very soon. Dansby Swanson of the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, top pick in the 2015 draft, headed to the playoffs with the Class A short season Hillsboro Hops. Dansby Swanson joins the show next. Minor league regular season is over across the board, and uh, some postseasons already rolling. A lot of them get started here today and tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday, but one of the leagues that is already full bore into the playoffs is the Northwest League, and one of the stars in that circuit already is the top pick in the draft from the 2015 MLB first-year player draft, Dansby Swanson of the Arizona Diamondbacks organization and the Hillsboro Hops. Uh, welcome, Dansby. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm uh, I'm glad to be able to talk to you guys. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's dive into the postseason talk first. We'll get that out of the way because it's, uh, I mean, you guys are already fully into this series, tied at one game apiece already. And, uh, I mean, this is kind of a, a different situation for you, I guess, because you get the College World Series, the postseason experience there. Then you join a Hillsborough team that has dominated the Northwest League over the last couple of seasons. They were already headed to the playoffs when you got there. Then you clinched the second half as well. And now uh, through a couple of games in the postseason, this has got to be kind of a, a – a sprint for you. I mean, with getting in a little bit later to Hillsborough and now already being into the postseason, what's this been like uh, to join this team and already be taking on the task of going after a Northwest League title? Uh, I mean, well, it's been awesome so far. I mean, the guys have treated me just like any other person, which I think has, has been, you know, like a blessing just because sometimes, you know, you can get treated a little bit differently, but, you know, they just see me as a guy like them and I'm just out here trying to play and, you know, reach a dream. So, They've been great. Um, you know, they're all passionate about it, and they love playing. And it, we kind of created a college-like atmosphere, which I thoroughly enjoy, just because you hear you know, all the stories about how pro ball is, just, you know, all for yourself. Like, you know, there's no team in it, but it's the complete opposite here. Um, you know, everyone wants to win. That's, that's what matters most to these guys. So being able to, you know, kind of bring what I learned at school and, um, you know, play here, and, you know, we've been able to, you know, be successful so far. And uh, kind of jumping back to where, you know, your whole pro experience kind of began going a couple months back to June. Um, you know, there was that really cool video of went kind of viral in baseball circles of uh, you getting the call that you were going first overall to the D-backs and, and just your teammates mobbing you. What, what was that scene like when you got, you know, when you found out that you were going first overall? And, uh, you know, what, what was it like to be part of that experience? I mean, it's pretty much what the video is. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was... Uh... You can't really put it into words, you know, just because I saw everything happen to work out so perfectly. You know, you go to Omaha, which in itself is just an amazing accomplishment. And then you, know, you draft your number one and your your family's there, um, teammates, coaches, you know, all the, the special people in your life, really. Um, we're all there at once, and they're just able to congratulate you. And uh, it's just it was a very, very emotional moment um, and something I'll definitely, definitely remember forever. Yeah, and going back a little before that, um, you know, the previous season you were most outstanding player at the at the College World Series. You guys obviously won the title um, in a very cool moment. But when did you think it was possible that you could go first overall, um, you know, in the 2015 draft? Was there any particular moment during this season, previous seasons, anything like that where you thought, you know, this is a real possibility for me? Um, well, for me, I always believed in myself um, that I had the ability to do it. It was just a matter of fact actually happened or not. Um, and so I guess coming down the stretch, uh, when I had, you know, a couple good uh, couple good weeks in a row, you know, in the postseason, uh, I thought that, that I could have, you know, put it over there, um, you know, put it over the edge. But I didn't really know for certain just because, I mean, I'm sure you guys know how crazy the draft can be and how different things work out and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I was just going to try and keep my focus on, on baseball and, you're actually playing rather than the draft itself. Dansby, let me ask you about the the Vanderbilt family and as it has turned into kind of one of those fraternities now in baseball. It's almost the way that Alabama is in football. You see the guys who go on to the NFL and they're they're part of that group or, or Miami of the 90s and 2000s where you see Vanderbilt guys now and Vanderbilt guys kind of breed Vanderbilt guys. I mean, it's like this one big fraternity of successful players in the professional level because of the success you've had at the collegiate level. And I want to read a quote that's on your bio page uh, on the Vanderbilt site from Tom Corbin, the head coach of the Commodores who said, quote, Dansby is a rare talent. He affects the game in so many different ways, whether it's physically on the field or in the clubhouse. Plain and simple, he's a winning baseball player. There isn't much he can't do well. For a program to have that much success, 
and a coaching staff to have that much success. And to hear the way that a head coach talks about you that way as one of the faces of that program, uh, I mean, what does that mean to you to know that you're kind of one of the guys who was on the forefront of uh, a program and institution that's already put so much talent into the professional game? You're kind of one of the guys who goes on the cover of the media guide now. I mean, there's David Price and there's, you know, Dansby Swanson's in that conversation now. What does that mean to have that on your resume now, not only as a top pick, but as an ambassador for Vanderbilt? Um, well, I mean, it's a huge honor, obviously, just being able to represent the university and not even just the baseball team, but, you know, the university, the community, um, national itself. Just being able to be put up like that is, is honestly an incredible feeling. And, um, and but, but it's funny that you ask, like, you know, what's it feel like and everything? Because for me, you know, I've never really changed who I am. You know, I've always stayed true to myself. And so all that stuff's cool, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's hard to recognize it just because I'm just being, you know, myself. I'm not trying to do something that people like or trying to act a certain way that would put me there. I just, you know, I'm just acting myself. And, um, you know, that was kind of the end result. But, uh, you know, the, the the family that we've created is, is very, very special. Um, it's more than just the talent, too, which I think is the most incredible part about it because we are – literally a family you know we always come back and hang out in Nashville together during the off season um you know we we impact the community um you know not just baseball you look at just socially academically like you name it you know we want to be the best at it so it, it runs more than just the talent and you know in professional baseball the the people that aren't necessarily playing baseball anymore but they're successful in their own right you know in the business world even though they um you know still come back you know with the Vanderbilt family Dansby, the the exposure that you get on a national stage playing at a program like Vanderbilt, I mean, you guys 2014 national champions, runners-up this past season, uh, that, I would think, almost prepared you better for things like the draft and like coming into an organization than maybe it does for the playing side of it. But you're in the postseason now as a professional, and it's obviously uh, a little bit different, I would imagine, playing the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes uh, in the Northwest League playoffs than playing on ESPN and Virginia in the national championship. But, I mean, just take me through kind of the the whole process of being involved in the college world series and what that exposure what that big time stage did for you as a as an athlete and as a professional moving into your pro career once you got drafted uh well i mean omaha obviously is a uh, very unique and special place just for the, the town thrives off of baseball you know it, it lives for those couple of weeks while the teams are there um you know the, the hospitality there is great and you know there's what 23 25,000 fans that you know, each game, which is which is awesome. I mean, I think it's great for college baseball. I think it's great um, to be able to have that exposure, like you said. But um, the biggest thing uh, that it, you know it's taught me is that baseball is the same. You know, it doesn't change whether you're playing, um, you know, the midweek game in school or whether you're playing, you know, in some middle of nowhere town. You know, professional baseball is the same game, same rules. So when you get to that that level and you're playing for a championship, you know, you just you treat it the same way. And I think that's why we at Vanderbilt were successful because nothing got hyped up. It was, it was the same every weekend, whether we were playing Florida, whether we were playing Virginia in the national championship game, whatever it was, we were just going to do what we had always done and what we had trained for. And kind of jumping forward a little bit over to your pro career, um, you know, you signed a deal with, with the D-backs, you're get, getting some time down in Arizona, getting ready for a season, hopefully, you know, to start in Hillsboro soon and, uh, season kind of takes you know a, a wrong turn for you when you were hit in the face with a pitch. Um, you know how kind of disappointing was it to have to put your season on hold? You know your first uh, minor league season on hold at that point, and how long did it kind of take you get take you to get back into the swing of things? You know after going through that. Um, well, so after I got hit, uh, obviously I didn't really. I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was disappointed. Um, I wouldn't think that's the right word. It's more I was just frustrated because, you know, I was ready to get things going. You know, when you're gearing up for something and then all of a sudden it takes a back seat, uh, it's a little bit different. But, uh, you know, trying to look at the positives, maybe it just gave me a little more time to, you know, rest up and get used to what a professional baseball life is like um, and help slow some things down for me. You know, I tried to look at the positives of it and, you know, how it was able to maybe slow things down for me a little bit um, and help me find out what a good routine would be or, um, you know, just be able to get a better understanding of what my new life would be like, so to speak. Um, so I, I was able to take advantage of that. And then, 
I'm still learning more and more about professional baseball every day. You just the way you get pitched, how it's different from college baseball, um, just the tempo, the pace, and all that type of stuff. So, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to apply it. Um, you know, and get better from it. You know, when you're saying you're getting used to pro baseball and that, what's the the biggest thing you've taken away from your time from the hops? And you know, you're you're in the playoffs right now, and we don't want to look too far ahead, but you're going to be going into your first full off season, you know, going to be going to spring training this year. What are you going to kind of take from this time in the Northwest league and kind of translate it into this off season to get prepared for a full season next year? Uh, well, the biggest thing um, is the effectiveness of fastball. You know, most guys that pitch off their fastball for the most part, uh, just because that, that's what pro baseball is, whereas college, it's going to be based more off of off speed stuff. Um, so just learning how, because a lot of guys are nowadays, I mean, it's like a sinker slider league. You just, you watch a lot of big leaguers throw, and that's what it is. Um, so just getting used to being able to see the ball up, you know, in, in the strike zone and not chasing pitches down and in that they want you to hit for ground balls. Um, it's probably one of the biggest things. And being able to basically mentally prepare yourself every day to play and to stay solid with, you know, your approach and your swing and knowing how to compete whether you feel great that day or you don't feel that good. And, you know, luckily I, was, I, I learned a lot of that in college. It's just kind of refining it because you do it every day now. So it can be a little bit different, but, you know, I'm well prepared for it. And I'm, you know, looking forward to the challenges. All right, Dansby, we got to ask you this. Uh, your Twitter handle is at LieutenantDans7, and on your bio page at VUCommodores.com, it says actor Tom Hanks would play him in a movie about his life. Now, I did some research – and you were not yet four months old, uh, five <laughs> months old, actually, when uh, Forrest Gump came out. Give us the, give us the story behind this love for uh, – because Tom Hanks, first of all, would be pretty old to play Dansby Swanson in a movie. I'm sure he could pull it off because Tom Hanks is America's favorite. But uh, give, us this, give us this Tom Hanks and this Forrest Gump story here. Uh, well, it's funny just because the reason I picked Tom Hanks is just because I think he's a phenomenal actor. Um, and obviously he's in a baseball movie, you know, for the love of the game. So, um, I just, he's kind of one that popped in my head. Just because, I mean, he's able to play a bunch of different roles. And then the Forrest Gump um, Twitter handle, actually, this, I think it's really funny. So, I got a Twitter my freshman year at school. And when I got it, I this was when I had broken my foot. So, I was rolling around campus on a scooter. And Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump was in a wheelchair. So, I only thought it was fitting. Oh, that is outstanding. Oh, that man. is like the best possible story. I thought it was just, that eh, Dan's is like Lieutenant Dan. That is great. Well, we got kind of uh, two questions for you. We don't. We want to kind of end this on a lighter note. Um, this is a kind of shout out to... Or your Lieutenant Dan knowledge. Yeah, we don't Sam want... Sam came up. Yeah, if you're going to have that Twitter handle, we want to make sure you, you can back it up a little bit. So we got a couple of trivia questions for you on Lieutenant Dan. So oh, Lord. You, uh, yeah. So uh, we'll give you one. If you get this one right, we'll go move on to a second one. Um, so we'll start with this one. Um, when Forrest and Bubba first meet Lieutenant Dan, he tells them there's one item of GI gear that can be the difference between a live grunt and a dead grunt. To what is he referring? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess we should clarify. Have, you have seen Forrest. Yeah, Gump, you have seen the right? movie, yes. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I, I was going to say being five months old when it came Holy out. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. This, I haven't seen this movie in a while. Um, it is a thing that you also uh, uh, have on baseball fields, if I am recalling this correctly. A base? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. It's, uh, so it's the scene where the guys land on the beach in Vietnam they first meet Lieutenant Dan. Yep. He comes up to them, cigar in mouth, asks that they're twins, and uh, tells them the most important thing they can have is socks. Socks. Socks is what we were looking socks. for. Socks. Yep. All right, yep. I'll give okay. you one more. This I'm, one. This I'm remembering that now. Yeah. Well, of course, now you remember it. After but that. if memory serves, you're a stirrups yeah. guy, right? Me? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. So I just totally lied. Well, I mean, at school, <laughs> at school we always had a match. At school, we always had a match, so... We always wore. If we had to wear stirrups, we had to wear stirrups. Okay, right, I got you. you go. So it's a program-wide thing. Okay, Sam Fire. All right, I'm so just we'll give, I'm we'll just spouting inaccuracies one. now about dancing. Yeah, we'll give this second one. Um, all right, so 
when Lieutenant Dan and Forrest go into it, to the uh, shrimping business together, and Lieutenant Dan invests yep. all of Forrest's profits from the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company in what Forrest calls some kind of fruit company. I'll give you a little hint. What is that quote, fruit company? It's, um, oh my gosh, it's, uh, there's one that comes to mind, but I don't know if it's right. Hold you on, may, let me take You may be second. talking on something related to it right now. Oh, yeah, for sure, Apple. Yeah, yeah there it is. One for two. We call we that need a, We need like a ball. ding sound effect like we're on talk. Hey, one, one, for two, one for two is a good start for the that game is, tonight. That it isn't is. bad. Hey, there you go. For being five months old when the movie came out, I, that, that would be the equivalent of that for me being the old man on this podcast would be like Back to the Future. So I'm <laughs> I'm impressed with that. Okay, yeah, I can do it. I can handle that. Dansby, nice work, man. I have one question uh, that we got to wrap on just because I will selfishly do this. But you, one of your early games with Hillsborough, you guys rocked the Portland Mavericks throwback uniforms, and uh, oh yeah. Just just tell me, because you did go stirrups with that, because you guys went team-wide, uh, went the full-on old-school Portland Mavericks. If you if people who are unaware, if you haven't seen the documentary, heard about the Mavericks, there's a phenomenal documentary on Netflix called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Uh, this was an independent minor league team that played against affiliated teams. It's a fascinating story. Just it, tell me, I mean, those are sweet threads to get to rock early on in your pro career. Yeah, they were awesome. And it was cool because uh, a lot of the Portland Mavericks, um, you know, came out that night and uh, and and watched the game and everything. It's funny their catcher, uh, his last name's Swanson, and he was he was a left hand catcher. And he he told me about five times. He's like, That's right, a left. We have the same catcher. last name. He's like, we, he's like, we have the same last name. I was like, yeah, it's pretty funny that I'm wearing the same jerseys that y'all used to wear, same last name, and it was so funny because these uniforms were enormous on me. Like, I feel like I should have been like cleaning chimneys wearing these uniforms um but and, and what was also fun i don't know if you guys saw a picture but a lot of us shaved like facial hair yes. to match right the 70s there was so of course i had like hair. The, the chops and the mustache and the uh and the goatee and everything it was funny there's no point in going full 70s throwback if you're not going to compliment it with the facial hair that's what I said. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this all out. And I'm going for it. <laughs> that is awesome. Dansby Swanson, the top overall pick in the 2015 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. Uh, Vanderbilt product and the top prospect now in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. Dansby, we cannot thank you enough, man, for being so gracious with your time with us today and getting ready for a playoff game. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way this season, and uh, we'll be talking to you next year in full season ball. Thanks again, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. The final road trip of the regular season is in in Benjamin Hill in his first year with a you know a full on Ben's Biz road trips logo and finishing off leagues that you know only had a couple of ballparks left uh, now safe and sound back in the confines of uh, the minor league baseball world that does not involve driving across the country. Welcome back to the show, Ben. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm in uh, recuperation mode. Finally finished my last trip of the season. Uh, hit 34 ballparks in total. Um, you know, ended ended it all last week in New England, and uh, I've got plenty more to write about. A bunch of New England features coming to milb.com and the blog. Over on the blog, I'm still finishing up my southern trip from uh, late July, early August. Um, I just end up writing so much that I, I, I kind of fear right now that I'll be writing about my season trips uh, the entire off season all the way until uh, hitting the road again. It'll it's not going to be that extreme. Through the winter meetings and spring training, then all of a sudden you'll be back out on the road again. Yeah, it is a weird thing. When I started this job and, you know, it was kind of working out my position and what it was I was doing and going through all that, uh, you know, a lot of it was kind of existential. Like, what am I doing? What is this job? How am I going to make it work? What is this niche I have, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in those early days, the off season was could sometimes get pretty long and lonely, and just not really knowing what to do, just having very little to do. Um, not not because I didn't want to do much, but I just wasn't so immersed in the world of minor league baseball. But now, got plenty to write about from the road trips at the end of the season. Uh, there's the promo seminar at the end of September and October. This year's is in um, Columbus. You know, might maybe go on a vacation in November, and then the winter meetings is in early December, and then you. 
have a little holiday break and then all of a sudden you're looking through the you know toward 2016 um it slows down a little in the off season but you know the more the longer we all do this i'm sure it's the same for you guys the more um there's just enough to do all year round and the off season kind of takes care of itself Sam and I kind of talked about that a little bit last week, that nothing ever – baseball doesn't stop. I mean, as soon as the regular season's over, you know, you got a handful of weeks that lead in the AAA championship game. Then it's just a couple weeks after that, the Arizona Fall League starts. Then all the off-season leagues start. There are various international tournaments, all kinds of – I mean, it just – nothing ever stops. And uh, we're going to get a chance to read about not only the conclusion of the Southern trip, but the New England trip got wrapped up last week when we talked to you. You were outside of McCoy Stadium getting ready to catch a Pawtucket Red Sox game. Uh, you were – at that game that night the next day you were in new hampshire and then the final day of that trip was a couple days later you were in portland maine and got to finish off uh, a couple of leagues that you only had one ballpark left give us a synopsis on the end of the uh, new england trip yeah well the new england trip uh yeah started in norwich connecticut home of the connecticut tigers and that was my last new york 10 league uh visit uh made a stop you know the last new britain rock cats home game ever which we talked about last week uh lowell spinners my old pals there and then uh, the three you mentioned, Pawtucket, New Hampshire, Fisher Cats, and Manchester, and Portland. So it was a great way to end the season. You know, uh, New England in the late summer, very scenic. Uh, the whole trip had a nice, uh, still warm, but feeling the fall kind of come in, sort of bittersweet, wistful feeling. Uh, good times all around. Um, so last time I talked to you guys, yeah, I was in the McCoy Stadium parking lot prior to that game. It was a, uh, a Tuesday night that I was in McCoy. Um, one week ago from when we were talking now. Uh, so not a big crowd. School just started. But what a stadium. I had never been there before. I've obviously read a lot you know, about its most mystique and romanticism and uh, being a stadium that was built, jeez, uh, what, 70-some, almost 80 years ago. It's been renovated a lot. But there's no stadium in minor league baseball quite like McCoy in terms of the layout. It is very big, uh, multi multi-layered. The press box kind of coming out from the upper row of seating where it kind of hovers above a lot of the seats, kind of like a spaceship flying overhead, uh, a lot of the seats um, and just a really unique minor league baseball environment. It did give me a better perspective on why fans are so upset about the proposed move to Providence. Cause even though that is only 10 miles or what have you um, it's a world away in terms of what the atmosphere would be and an atmosphere that can never be regained once it's lost. Uh, I think a lot of people are making the argument. It's not going to be viable long-term to keep supporting AAA baseball in that facility in that kind of environment. But uh, it's going to be quite a fight until we see what happens next there and if that move does go through. So I'll certainly be writing about that aspect of, of McCoy and uh, this this week and next week as well because, as you guys know, that's a story that's uh, on a lot of people's minds and a long way to go before that one uh, reaches a conclusion. Yeah, and kind of jumping forward a little bit in your trip, um, you know, we talked a little bit before, you know, recording this, and you, you said one stadium that really popped out to you was Portland's Hadlock Field. Um, I know my grandma, uh, you know, native of Maine and Bangor, Maine, would be very happy to hear you say that, but uh, what made it kind of stand out to you, put it kind of in the upper echelon of minor league stadiums? Yeah, really enjoyed ending my season in Hadlock. Uh, the stadium was built in 1994, which is a awkward time for stadiums. You know, if you're built in 1994, you're far from classic. You're too new to be classic. But a lot of those stadiums were built before really the revolution, you know, fully kicked in in terms of the 360-degree concourses and um, the uh, larger emphasis on not really having to be in your seat and having it be a group gathering and kids running around on the berm and a huge video board, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they really make it work in that kind of, I don't, I don't even want to call it an awkward environment, but within that mid-90s uh, aesthetic, they really make it work. Uh, some great renovations, you know, they have the monster seats in right field modeled after the seating in Fenway. They have an actual replica of the green monster, you know, in left. So some very specific nods to their New England location and the Boston Red Sox affiliation. Um, and just, you know, as most of New England, as it is the case with most of New England, a more engaged fan base. It's a region that's really good for baseball fans, and that certainly trickles down to the minor league levels as well. And you're just talking to the people there. You know, you play in Portland in April and well into May. You're dealing with snow. You're dealing with basically freezing game time temperatures and talking to people, talking to the front office, talking to the ushers, saying, you know, we don't do as bad as you might think. 
at this ballpark with that kind of weather because we do have a core of people who just come out regardless. And you can really sense that, that it was a team that's deep rooted in the community that has a lot of true fans as a base and has a great uh, New England, uh, Boston-affiliated ambiance. And definitely that's the last Eastern League uh, ballpark I'd yet to visit and definitely a highlight and definitely one I would tell people if they're making their own trips to try to get up there. Uh, It took me this long for me to make it there because it is a little awkward in the general road trip itinerary sense, because it's the only team in Maine. You just have to keep going north. It's kind of tough to tie it into a larger itinerary unless you're doing exactly what I did and really uh, want to do New England only. But a great play- way to end a New England road trip for me and uh, you know for anyone. Yeah, and kind of uh, you know this is time I guess to remind people Maine's also called vacation land. So if you ever next summer maybe you know obviously we're at the end of the season, but. Uh, want to spend a week up there, hit Old Orchard Beach, go to a Sea Dogs game. There's tons to do up there. You can make a trip out of it. Um, kind of moving to something else, you know, you kind of wrote uh, this week about the New England trip. One of my favorite things Ben always does is you kind of find the one people or the certain people in the community that just stand out and are kind of local celebrities, and you kind of found them in Connecticut and Norwich uh, with the Stott family and uh, Gene Stott at Stott's at Bat. Um, how how does that restaurant kind of fit into what the Connecticut Tigers are to the community on there? Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories I wrote this year and uh, definitely a little unique for me. Uh, you know, I owe it to the team in, in my pre-visit correspondence. You know, they were the ones who um, were, you know, kind of throwing some ideas at me or things that might be interesting. And they said, hey, there's this restaurant literally right down the street from the stadium called Stocks at Bat. Gene Stott, who runs it, is basically like a second mother to a lot of the kids on the team. Coaches love her. We in the front office love her. She's just, you know, she caters the press box meals, and she's just a big part of this team uh, ecosystem and this team community. So I stopped into the restaurant uh, before I went to the stadium, and it was a good time to do so. It's, it's more breakfast and lunch spot, and this was in the late afternoon, and it was going to close soon. And Jean was just, as they said, a really sweet, open woman who uh, just talked about what the what running this business means to her what it means to meet the you know the boys every year because they really are kids at this level uh you know 20 21 22 years old what it's like to get to know these boys every year um how you can identify when a scout comes in uh when i was there the hitting coach scott dwyer came in picked up a pre-game grilled cheese and fries um etc etc you just saw how immersed she was in this uh within the connecticut tigers organization not being an official presence but someone who really takes care of the team in any way she can, who has a great business relationship with the team. And if you think of the Connecticut Tigers and you really, really are part of that organization, you know, you think of this restaurant, you think of Gene Stott, you think of Stott's at bat. And uh, I really like those kind of stories of finding uh, the aspects of a team that um, you might not think about or you might not know about if you just show up to the ballpark, but really do mean a lot in terms of uh, what they mean to the team. And it, just kind of going around, one thing about New England is that it is so Red Sox kind of affiliated, and you hit a lot of different Red Sox affiliates, obviously, between Lowell, Portland, and uh, uh, Pawtucket. But with teams like Connecticut and New Hampshire, you know, how do they kind of deal with being affiliates of other clubs and, you know, between the Tigers, Blue Jays? Um, is it just embracing baseball, or do they try to work other ways of just kind of New England feel into them? Um. It's tough. You know, any team in New England would like to be a Red Sox affiliate, but there's only so many affiliations to go around. I think uh, New Hampshire Fisher Cats struggle with that the most. I mean, they're a team that's even done, you know, Boston Red Sox-type bobbleheads at at times through the years and uh, done things that really were, you know, geared toward the Boston fans in the region, even though they're not a Boston affiliate. I didn't feel that so much in Norwich, maybe because it's not as far north and it didn't quite have the full-on uh, Red Sox nation feel that that, um, that you definitely get you know, when you move up north a little bit. Um, but it, it, it's, it's tough because Portland Sea Dogs, double-A Red Sox affiliate, that's huge to them. New Hampshire would love to have that affiliation. Not sure if that would ever happen. Uh, so you've just got to adjust and you, you just got to be who you are. Hope people just follow the players and enjoy the players for who they are. But it's tough. You know, New Hampshire and Fisher Cats are a Blue Jays affiliate, you know, divisional rival of the Red Sox. So if you're a Red Sox fan, first and foremost, it's maybe a little awkward for the fans of the Fisher Cats to develop a Fisher Cats fandom while knowing these guys, the best of them, are going to you know, directly compete with your favorite team down the line. 
But, you know, deal with that. Cross that bridge when it comes to it and just enjoy minor league baseball for what it is. I think that's why they're still successful because at the end of the day, it's still minor league baseball. It's still a cheap, fun place to see a game. Uh, but I could not escape Boston affiliates <laughs> on this trip. Not only did I visit three Boston Red Sox affiliates, but the three stadiums I visited that weren't Boston affiliated were playing the Red Sox affiliates. I saw the Sea Dogs not just in Portland, but also in New Britain and in New Hampshire. And uh, when I was in Lowell, Oh, wait, no, wait, Lowell are a Red Sox affiliate. When I was in Norwich, they were playing Lowell, the Spinners, uh, there. So I saw the Spinners twice, the Sea Dogs three times. Every single game I went to did have a Red Sox team playing. So, hey, best of both worlds. You just cannot escape it. Ben, I mean, now that we're kind of getting down to it, uh, this has been a long season for you with the road trips and all the ballparks. I mean, you said the amount of ballparks you've been to this year, it's more than a lot of people will get to in a lifetime. But give us just some of your quick reactions on this season. I mean, I know that there will be a ton of it coming to the blog. A lot of it's already on the website, and it's coming to the website. But, you know, all the, the stadiums that you've seen, the new places that you've been to, the leagues that you've finished off, the things that you've eaten, the things that the designated eaters have eaten, uh, what are some of the things that, when you look back on 2015, will stand out to you about this? season on the road uh well you're absolutely right there's a lot to unpack so when i think about it now it is kind of hard to uh pull out those isolated individual memories from this huge bulk of five trips 30 some ballparks Uh, my goal going into every season is simply to do a little bit better than i did the year before and uh i'm my own worst critic and my own worst enemy in a lot of ways but i do think i've continued to be able to do that and i think this is my best season yet on the road in terms of the number of trips I went on, the number of ballparks I visited, in terms of uh, the quality of the feature stories, uh, all the people I met, having the designated eater. Um, <laughs> yeah, the po- yeah, the podcast for the first time. Yeah, but you know, having this as part of the MILB.com operation, I think is big. Uh, getting uh, my own logo commissioned and created. Um, you know, uh, with the help of my friend Sean Kane, uh, great artist there. Which, by the way, I stopped by the office last week and I noticed that you have a uh, specially made mouse pad with the logo on it. I do. That was just sent to me, uh, just a one-off thing. Uh, that was sent to me. One T-shirt was sent to me. A mug was sent to me. I think people are looking at it and thinking, like, hey, if you're ever going to go a any sort of mass production level, like, <laughs> you know, let us know. I'm kind of gotten a few samples sent to me. That is definitely an off-season goal. I'm very aware that you know people are not going to be breaking down the doors for Ben's Biz merchandise, but doing this as long as I have, there is a subculture of uh, fellow weirdos who are really into it, and I'd love to get you know some T-shirts out there, some mugs, or some mouse pads, and kind of uh, you know keep spreading the word, exploring a minor league, exploring America through minor league baseball. It's <laughs> the end of the season. I can't even say my can't even say my own tagline at this point, but that is what uh, the Ben's Biz logo is. It's, of course, it's about me a little bit, or maybe a lot, but I really wanted to convey the person who identifies with that logo. Hopefully, they like my writing, but they also identify with the idea of exploring America through minor league baseball. Uh, you guys, on the house, if I ever have a Ben's Biz t-shirt, I'll give it to you for free, and I'm sure you'll wear it each and every day uh, with pride. All right. Well, you're on the record now saying it's for free, so everybody has heard it. That's a binding contract. Yeah, hey, uh, I know that'll be a career highlight for you. <laughs> keep checking the blog at bensbiz.mlblogs.com and keep checking milb.com as well. We'll have a lot more feature stuff, a lot more content from Ben's trips this season. And uh, just as things don't really stop on the field, like we've been talking about with the offseason leagues and all that kind of stuff, things off the field don't stop in minor league baseball either because now that we're out of the regular season, we might not be checking in on promos and all the, the wacky stuff that happens in-game. But we're getting close to rebranding season. Uh, I know the Charleston River. Dog just unveiled a refreshed logo. I mean, obviously, we've seen the Savannah Sand Nats will be moving to Columbia, South Carolina next year. They've announced their rebrand as the Columbia Fireflies. But, uh, I mean, that always seems to come fast and furious over the offseason as well. And, Ben, you've probably even gotten in on some of the stuff that we haven't heard about that will be happening this offseason. I know uh, know of a few. I do think my my early uh, inclination is it's going to be a fairly slow rebranding season uh, because because two of the big ones, you know, as you guys know, the Columbia Fireflies and Hartford Yard Goats are already out there. Right. So we don't have these new identities for whole new teams waiting to be revealed. They've already been revealed. There will certainly be some, some uh, you know, in-market rebrandings to look forward to. But I don't think it's going to be one of those years where you just look up on a new day and you're like, wait, what? You know, there's another one. Because sometimes there have been years, even this last offseason, where you can barely keep track of it. You're just like, wait, wait. 
what this team's doing it today and on Monday this team's doing it and the following Thursday this team's doing it. I don't think it's going to be that insane, but we got some stuff to look forward to there. Of course, all sorts of uh, ongoing business news and stadium building developments and team relocation rumors and all that kind of stuff. A good chance to, uh, you know, get caught up on our reading and read some minor league themed books, maybe write some reviews on those, et cetera, et cetera. We keep it going. There's always something to write about, as you guys know. Baseball never ends. It has taken, taken us, taken over our lives, basically. All season long, Benjamin Hill has been kind enough to join us and uh, drop his knowledge on the world of minor league baseball here on the show before the show, episode number 24, Ben. And uh, we'll be doing it again over the offseason. We'll be checking in with you and, uh, and figuring out what's going on as we head toward the 2016 campaign. Thanks as always, Ben. Sounds good. I, I look forward to it. Had a whole lot of fun on the 24th edition of minor league baseball's the show before the show podcast as always you can uh, head on to itunes and give us five stars and also leave comments if you like uh and find us there you can rate review and subscribe to the show before the show on itunes you can also find us at milb.com sam is on twitter he's at sam dykes or milb i am at tyler mon benjamin hill is at ben's biz and dansby swanson is at lieutenant dan's seven you can follow minor league baseball as well at milb and uh wrapping it up on the 24th edition of the show but just because the regular season's over and we may not have weekly promos and those sorts of things to talk about does not mean that your season is done on milb tv we've got playoff games coming up uh all week long all weekend long into next week the postseason continues throughout minor league baseball this was very cool ben tweeted out earlier today we're recording our little uh, our outro here on wednesday uh quote Bowie Bay Sox hosting a playoff watch party tonight with an MILB.TV feed streamed live at a local pizzeria. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember, you know, uh, going to college and doing that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of pro teams, you know, major teams uh, do watch parties when their teams go on the road for playoffs. So it's it's nice to see that kind of tradition get carried over. Um, hopefully that, you know, they – uh, the pizza is good to match the baseball over there in Bowie. But, uh, yeah, that, that would be a kind of a cool uh, – a minor league tradition that starts. And, you know, if your team is not putting a watch party on, you can put a watch party on. Tell uh, tell your team that you're going to throw one at your house or another local pizza. Or just tell your friends. You know. Yeah, or just tell your friends. You know, whatever. If you're in Fresno, it's probably not going to be a pizzeria. It'll probably be around tacos. But uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. So have some fun watching the postseason on MILB.TV. And, uh, yeah, we got playoff games. And the AAA championship game, of course, is coming up later on in the month. And we'll be breaking uh, the first rounds of postseason action down and getting you set for the remainder of the playoffs uh, on next week's episode. Episode number 25 of the show before the show. So our biggest thanks to Dansby Swanson, the top prospect in the Diamondback system, and MLB.com's number 10 overall prospect. Uh, and, of course, our thanks, as always, to Benjamin Hill as well. And until next week, uh, cheer for your team if they have made the postseason, and we will uh, break down if they uh, made you happy or didn't. That's all coming up next week. We'll talk to you then. 